Hi folks, it's Joe here. Welcome to this week's edition of the Taking Note podcast, where Charlie and I are joined by the wonderful instrumentalist and composer Blair Coron. Charlie and I first met Blair a few years ago now, where we took part in a gig he was putting on up in Inverness when he was touring his first album, which is called On the Nature of Things. Both Charlie and I really love Blair's music. It takes in a lot of different influences, but I guess sits more in a world of like ambient or contemporary classical sort of stuff. So it's really nice to collaborate with him and to explore some of those ideas a bit more. I think this episode is also a first for me because Blair was playing the piano and I ended up playing a couple of different instruments. So here we go with that episode. Please enjoy. Hello, how are you doing, Blair? Very well. Thanks for having me. Thanks and coming. thanks, Joe, for having me in your lovely studio. In, the, in my, my home studio situation. <laughs> it's, um, you're getting a, a unique experience, I think, compared to any of the other guests we've had on so far, Blair. It's um, all previously been in my actual studio, but um, it's still drying out. It was full of water recently. Yeah. So we're in my living room studio. So That's working fine, though. I think, I think so. it's better. It feels more comfortable. Yeah. Um, there's something more business-like in a studio, I think. But Totally. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is much nicer. Might just be some background noise of the street and of the cat. Like, I've had to shut her out of the living room because she thinks all the cables are snakes. And it's very exciting <laughs> to her, but she well, kind of, she wants in. So you might hear that a little bit. I try not to fight the, the plants too much with my bow as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a jungle in here. Yeah. Um, so what's what's our sort of plan today? We were, we were kind of chatting about working off a recording. I don't know if you could tell us a wee bit about that, Blair, and where, where you found it. Yeah, so... In the past year, I've been working on a, or working towards a project using archival recordings from interviews of people in the Highlands and Islands, mainly from early 20th century. But then for today, I found this lovely recording of birds. I think it's the, the summer solstice on Cana, five in the morning, birds going about their business in the morning, and it's just so quiet and it's just a lovely thing to, to listen to. And a lot of what I do as well musically is a lot of improvising involved. And I think if we brought one of the interviewed archive recordings, we'd have to be a bit more strict to match what they're doing. Yeah. And um, where this one gives us a bit more freedom. And where, where did yeah. that like kind of start that inspiration to work from these recordings? Like One of the positive things that came out from COVID, <laughs> I suppose, <laughs> being locked into Scotland. Um, last year I did the West Highland Way. Um, that was my chance to just get as much nature in me as possible before yeah. another <laughs> lockdown happened, really. As amazing as it is going out to the Highlands, maybe once a week, once every month or something for a trip, there's something different about spending an entire week there, or in your case, your entire life yeah. <laughs> there now. It affected me more uh, than it has in the past. And just going through Scotland, you become so more aware of its history, and every day is a different experience. You see a different ruin or... A different mountain you just want to know more about the past really and that, that's what really drew me towards it just wanting to know more about how people used to live and do you think like and you weren't so aware of that when you were younger perhaps not really um because you, you used to go up to mal and things when you were younger yeah didn't you? and most of my holidays were to the the west coast and the islands yeah. it's very rarely we went abroad so there was always that connection to nature but yeah it's only really been since living in a city where i've managed to really appreciate it more Absolutely. Um, I, I felt very similarly when I moved down to Glasgow. It was kind of like, you know, I mean, I was always very aware of the sort of historical importance. And 
I don't know, just generally, I had a lot that I was interested in in the Highlands, but it wasn't until I moved down here that I really realised how much I liked it all and how yeah. much I wanted to research. And yeah. yeah I don't, did you have any experience like that, Joe? Or? I don't know if my feelings about the Highlands were so influenced by moving down here, to be honest. I think my interest has always kind of been the same you know I don't think I don't think I may be quite as interested in like the kind of historical side of things you know for me it's all it's more about just the experience of kind of being being in it I suppose yeah. and a bit of knowledge is you know knowledge is always good and things but it doesn't it's not quite the same thing to me I suppose um, I think just by our nature me and Blair are quite romantic people I think do you know what I mean in the sense of romanticizing things mm. that was like certainly one of the first things we sort of <laughs> clicked over and yeah. I, I know yeah, that yeah. your experience of of Scotland generally Joe is not quite as romantic definitely you know? a bit of a cynical realist I think <laughs> oh, really? so I am yeah. that's, that's and it's not a, it's in no way a bad thing either, either way but it's yeah. it's just a different sort of interaction yeah. with the space isn't it totally mm. totally and and with the history and stuff as well like absolutely yeah. I think what I really like from the about like archive recordings from the School of Scottish Studies and things like that is just is the sounds, is the sounds of people's voices and kind of hearing mm. all of that, you know. And for me, it's kind of more in some ways about that than the content some of the time. Definitely, I, I found as well that there's only so much you can get through going to a museum or reading about these people that used to live and mm -hmm. reading or reading works that they've written down. Totally. But hearing them like laughing or uh, singing their songs and just having a chat to the interviewer in these recordings, you yeah connect so much more to them as well and um and I, th I think my favorite ones are the ones where they're you know you're listening to a Kaylee or, or a piece of music or whatever it is mm -hmm. but in the background you hear somebody you know like yeah with the cooking pot or yeah. <laughs> you know shouting at the kids to come in or whatever it yeah, is yeah. you can hear the cows even it's like there's something really lovely about that because you're you're transported aren't you mm -hmm. yeah and yeah, audio is incredible from that point of view if you close your eyes how so you can just kind of be anywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just wish they had the recording equipment that we have now. Because <laughs> sometimes it can be quite muffled sounding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I think that does add to the this 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 is in the past due to the recording quality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It'll be strange looking back to nowadays in the future. I mean, also their equipment will also advance, but because everything now is so clear, and even photographs, like yeah. you can look back ten years and it'll seem like it was just taken today but uh, if you take your children they could be look completely different but it looked like it was just taken yesterday the picture I was I was chatting to a friend about this a few years ago we were over in Poland doing a gig and it was it was amazing because we had this big big stage and all the rest of it and there was huge speakers and cables and everything and we were saying one day people are going to laugh at the idea that we even used cables you know <laughs> yeah I can imagine yeah. in the future when people are performing it will just be you know, you won't even see the microphones or the yeah. speakers or whatever it is. <laughs> Your little stick-on dot thing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the old Bluetooth, the cables are already kind of becoming a bit of a thing of the past. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. But no, I, I think that a lot as well. I think about even like doing these recordings, you know, mm -hmm. somebody might listen to this in a hundred years like we are to those old archive recordings. Yeah, I know. There's something lovely about that. And that's what's amazing. It's like these people, I mean, they're 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 long dead now, but they have no idea that like these random guys in Glasgow at that, this particular time are just listening to them chat. It's, it's so surreal. And then again, our own recordings as well, like to know that um, maybe 300 years in the future, this 
a random person in their bedroom would stumble upon one of her records and yeah continue to live on beyond her own lifespan absolutely so what what's your kind of like musical background then well so the instruments i play now that's really just oh, well the piano <laughs> being one of them <laughs> um that's more a recent addition to what i can play really since moving to glasgow in the past three or four years started playing the violin not the fiddle <laughs> at primary school it was always classical bass that you're brought up on um, How old were you when you started doing that? Uh, so that would be primary three or primary four. So what's that? Seven, seven eight years old, I think. Seven. Yeah. There was one of those things where it wasn't a, a choice. As the, the music teacher came to our school, and then the entire class were, was given this test. Where I think, I think it was we had to listen to two different notes, and you were asked whether the second one was higher or lower, and then whoever got the most points right at the end, they, they got the chance to play an instrument oh, cool. so there was me and two other people and we got the choice of violin or viola uh, so i chose violin loved it in primary school but then uh, thanks like a lot of people when you get to high school you want to do the, the cool thing so I, I kept the violin going but i picked up the electric guitar <laughs> as well <laughs> that, that was the next step and then it felt like the guitar was outweighing the the practice over the violin until I joined the Glenfarg Accordion and Fiddle Club and then that's when my love of Scottish music and fiddle playing and all that, the folk scene just came back in that shot way above the, yeah. <laughs> the guitar after that. And then went to university, studied music, performance. That was in uh, Perth, is that right? At Perth, yeah, Perth yeah. College. Uh, no real end goal with that one, it was one of those things where I'd done music all my entire life and I just knew that's what I had to continue doing with my job. I did want to go to studying psychology before that. So again, it's one of those things where you feel like you have to do the right thing. Like, I was trying to please other people. It sounds like the two of you had actually quite a similar experience yeah. from that point I of view. A, I had a near brush with the law, as in going to study it, I think, right? at the end of yeah. school. It's the same sort of thing. It was like, yeah. oh, rattle, like, you know, just rattle through a, and like a kind of hardcore year of trying to do well at school just to get mm -hmm. into law school sort of thing. And then the very last moment, like yeah. sacked it off to do music basically yeah. it was just like, there's no way i can go through with this this would be mental <laughs> but how, how last moment was it for you when did you realize um that? like you finished the school year in like june or something mm. i think it was july that i'd made a decision um right because like i'd gotten into i was meant to start at, for law at glasgow um uh -huh. and i'd gotten on to a music degree as well but i hadn't made a decision mm -hmm. and then it, the email came that was like you must enroll um for like to start the law thing and mm -hmm. it was at that point it was literally like two months before I moved down I was like nope right. I'm, I'm not doing this <laughs> yeah that was similar to me I think it was the I got the email of the morning of the interview mm -hmm. saying remember you've got an interview today for a, a, the psychology course and I was like nope I don't want to do this, <laughs> not this is, when you have that confirmation of this is your life now yeah you, that's when you realize that totally what does, is important to you I think yeah, yeah it does need to get to a bit of a crunch time before you make a decision yeah doesn't it? yeah exactly I, I seem to remember being quite sat on doing music like from a much earlier age mm -hmm. from that point of view and I don't think I ever necessarily wanted to study it either. So I don't know how you were with your teaching of music but I feel like we were never told how to make a career out of being a musician. It was more you was always taught as a hobby a lot of the time there was never really an end goal in sight with and uh, for the violin side of things anyway in primary school and high school it's just you're learning this don't ask why. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. me and Joe are very lucky to have attended uh, music school up in the Highlands. Oh, yeah, that's where we first met, and I think the whole thing of that music school in Plockton is is kind of setting you up for that thing. So, right. Right. I guess going there at age fourteen, it gave me a pretty clear mm-hmm. idea of how I, I potentially could make a career out of playing the fiddle. I don't know. I was also maybe lucky in the sense that my grandmother was a touring professional. <laughs> traditional yeah. musician so I think it maybe seemed a bit more tangible in some respects mm-hmm. which I was really lucky for Yeah, so you think that might be it because both my parents, they were just all about getting a, a full-time job and then always making sure you're financially stable obviously yeah. mm-hmm. so I feel like there was always that hesitation when I said I'm going to music university now Totally, yeah. that's, uh, that's very similar <laughs> to yeah. the crap of my folks um, you, you, you and half the world you know what I mean, it's like exactly. so many people have this issue just as soon as their child says they're going to art school yeah. or <laughs> to study music or whatever it is, it's kind mm. of red flag isn't it? Yeah, but then it's also the case where it's like, they were always pushing me towards doing music as well growing up so it's not my fault. <laughs> they moulded me into who I am. <laughs> Look what you've done. Look what you did to me. <laughs> so what led you into the more kind of like, kind of ambient and electronical piano-y kind of world? I think that's the one in which I'd most readily kind of know your music, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, um, Again, that was really a process of just going through the university. When I was uh, studying the guitar, my ambition was to be Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> or a similar, like, outrageous, like, overly confident, like, stage performer and it's like windmilling the guitar and (laughs) And then when I realized I didn't have that confidence (laughs) or stage presence I then I moved more towards jazz and like more experimental music Mm -hmm. and you know the sitting down type of music where you just sort of focus on the instrument (laughs) Um, then that led me into yeah just the more like spontaneous improvising like working with different styles of music in general and the more avant-garde art scene I guess Mm -hmm. So when I came to Glasgow, I didn't know anyone at all, so I just had to go with what I was working with at the time. So I started working with uh, dancers and painters and playwrights, just working with every art scene apart from musicians. Mm -hmm. Uh, More just to learn from that side of things as well, because I had been working with musicians my entire life, or with music my entire life, so I wanted to learn as much as I can from a different perspective. I think it's, it's really important. I think it's, it's always good to learn from other sort of creative fields. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way. And then that led to the more atmospheric, uh, subdued sounds that I now work with now because I couldn't really create any sort of like... I mean, I, I do obviously write queer melodies and I write folk songs and things as well, but I always have that the more ambient side of things pushed through. Because I always feel there's, there's something else. I don't, I never want to be the, the focus of what I create. I always want to be the other musicians to yeah, yeah. be what's going on, and, or in this case, the recordings. Mm-hmm. Um, I always want to create some sort of environment for the audience to enjoy, and not they're never. I don't want them to come there to come and see Blair Corn or Blair Corn and Band. It's always the whole image that's going you've, on. You've talked a lot about that as well, just sort of this thing of yeah. kind of wanting to take the back seat slightly. I think it's like that's a really nice way of describing it like creating the environment in which you know the other stuff can happen sort of thing and that's mm. I've been you know that's something similar I think is it's what I often look for as well that thing of just kind of you know being being in a more kind of supporting kind of enabling of other stuff to happen sort of role musically mm. like I think that's that's one that I quite enjoy too and have been yeah. kind of just leaning more into I think earlier on I did try and be a bit more of a 
been kind of a melody player and stuff like that too it was like I'll try and be more at the front of things but it's like actually no I like just mm-hmm. being in the background and kind of yeah you know making it possible for the other stuff to happen yeah definitely I, I just find myself as again it's like going back to the me realizing I'm not the Bruce Springsteen on the stage <laughs> yeah. and just even even when I'm performing I turn my back to the, the audience as well even with the piano, I take the lid off so they can see the piano. <laughs> Instead yeah. of them not looking at me, I want them to watch the hammers instead or watch the keys. I don't want them to see my <laughs> see my face. Even even the folk songs I write and the ones where there's, there's a melody and words to them, they've always been... I've also had to have a choir with me singing in unison or an octave harmony and things. And again, I never want to be the, the lead voice <laughs> singing in that as well. I feel like as well, you, you also have to set the environment before you start, I can't always be reliant on the music itself. So I also have like subdued lighting and even that alone, people know it's going to be, they're not going to be here to look at your face, like smiling at them or, or they know that's like a sign for them to close their eyes or just, just use your ears more because you're like taking away the, the visual stimulation just a little bit. Totally. And they know that's enough to, uh, they know what they're there for. Whereas if they come in and there's bright lights and disco balls, <laughs> like flames, yeah, might be yeah. setting you up for a different <laughs> performance. That's it. Yeah. Well, there is a disco ball on the roof of the flat there here, is. so there is. maybe that's why we're going today. I'll get the flames rolls <laughs> on shortly. Um, so yeah, it's um, funny you were saying about the the sit-down music. I like that as an expression. Mm-hmm. I think that's very much for me and Joseph's set as well in regards to the the duo and that's kind of what led us to meet as well because you, you just got in touch with us didn't you yeah yeah i think i found you on i think it was so far one of your so far sound shows in inverness yeah because i was looking for bands to play on my tour the ones that be the ones that are not like outrageously in your face <laughs> <laughs> yeah and yeah i just loved what you guys were doing and uh, the audience were really drawn into into your performance as well and and it was strange to know that that Inverness show that everyone that performed were living in Glasgow <laughs> at the time as well. I was looking forward to meeting the Inverness scene and I think everyone there was from Glasgow or like yeah. from Edinburgh. That was a lovely little gig though. It was really was great. Yeah. Yeah. In a bike shop. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. I think that was the last, not that one, but the, the show after where you guys also played the at the Trinity College. Mm-hmm. That was the last gig that I played in Glasgow or at, at all before COVID. Same. We just got it in there. I think that was, that still was my last like you know, even with the world opening up a bit more, it's September 2021 just now, but, like, I think that was still the last in-person gig I've played all the way back in February 2020. 2020, 2020 yeah. Um, I madness. I know. That was a lovely gig. Because it was kind of the foyer of, like, a block of flats, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And there's a little small botanic garden in the foyer as well. Yeah. Really, I like that element of the gig of some people just, you know, half the people coming in were there to watch the gig and half the people were just unlocking their doors yeah, to get their stuff yeah, in. coming in with their shopping and <laughs> rattling their car keys and it was funny. so silent everywhere else yeah. <laughs> I wonder how they felt about that quite weird yeah just having a gig going on in your front hall <laughs> but hopefully we're not long off now from being back in those situations again fingers crossed I know so I suppose this podcast is a bit of a departure for me in that I'm playing harmonium as opposed to piano. I think I've been playing piano in all the other ones. Um, so mm-hmm. it's like a little kind of pedal reed organ thing. Um, have we used it at all? I don't know that we have. I think um, we had it out one day. Oh, no, we did play it with Duncan. Oh, that's right. But it didn't really get much of an explanation. It was just kind of there, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. It's, yeah, it's like a little pedal organ. It sounds... 
I can be really bassy. I love the like that sort of quality of it. Just yeah, almost instantly transported into like a church. Yeah. In my mind, it's like, oh, I'm, there's the walls. <laughs> I can yeah. feel like I'm in a church That's now. Um, yeah. But it's an amazing instrument. Um, I got it for one p from eBay. Wow. Um, okay. Was, but then was the transport costs like two hundred pounds? I had to drive to Birmingham to get it. Um, <laughs> but I'm really glad I did because like they were made. This design was made as a. They were originally called like a field organ, and they were designed in the First World War for when you had um, field chaplains or something, mm-hmm. like you know ministers or preachers out in the field, and then so they had these little foldy up organs for them to accompany hymns on and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so you know there weren't really many made after the 1930s, I don't think. But then this is a like a Yamaha one from the 60s, um, right, right. and it's like I think they're quite rare, and it's really nice. I'm really lucky to have had it kind of land <laughs> land yeah. up with me and Absolutely. we've used it a lot we've used it on the album that we just did as well charlie and a couple of other ones so it's quite a good crack so yeah. i said i said before last time you met that I absolutely adore your recent single and it's got the harmonium in it and it just fits so perfectly well like, oh, with, alongside the violin I definitely want to hear more of it it's a, it's I hope a, the rest of the album features heavily. <laughs> There's a couple of other harmonium <laughs> tracks, I think. Yeah. I, think I think it's one of those things, like, we, we've talked a lot about this when arranging music, is it, mm-hmm. you, can, you can definitely overuse the harmonium. Yeah. Do you know? Totally, because it, it, it's so constant, you know, it's like it's, it's the drone thing. It's quite muddy sounding mm-hmm. in its own way, and it's, it can, yeah. I don't know. It, it can also totally fill a space really nicely exactly, as well. Exactly, yeah. Um, I mean, it's great for just, like, a, your basic drone as well. Like, mm-hmm. it sounds incredible. I think one of the most ridiculous music situations I've ever been in was, like, I have another harmonium that folds up and goes in a case that I take on gigs and stuff like that. And I think the most ridiculous situation I've ever been in was with music was with you, Charlie, going on to St Kilda yeah. um, in, like, a tiny little seven-foot rubber Zodiac boat with this massive flight case with a harmonium, like, poking over both sides and kind of sinking <laughs> the boat. And, like, are we about to drown with this harmonium because yeah. of this bloody harmonium in, like, the North Atlantic? Um <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty full on. There's a really good photo of it, actually. Um, but it was just absurd, um, but kind of funny. <laughs> so I've got harmonium as well, but it's completely in ruins. Um, every note's out of tune, some of the keys are stuck down. Oh. The left pedal, the belt's ripped off. Uh, and I like I like to think it's a project that I can just like sit down and prepare myself and take my time to, uh, mm-hmm. to fix it. Because I do feel like if instruments... That's one of the downside of playing with synths a lot of the time is I have no idea how to repair those if they break. Absolutely. Yeah. But anything mechanical, I can see what's wrong. I can most likely fix it yeah. easily myself. Yeah. But then if, if my laptop breaks or the Moog breaks, I think there also becomes becomes a certain point. It's like there's, you know, I, I studied fiddle making with the view that I would be able to sort of repair my fiddles and things in the future. But although I would tinker about with something worth a couple of hundred pounds mm-hmm. I wouldn't even go near trying to repair the instruments I use professionally you know yeah, what I mean yeah, yeah. and there always becomes a point where it's mm-hmm. do you just pay someone else that's studied it yeah, for years to do these things is. I think it's good to know how to do like a field repair you know like Absolutely, yeah. I remember dropping an accordion and cracking it like down the like the back of kind of the body so you know it wasn't airtight it was just mm. air was wishing out of it it was not usable and like I was playing a festival in like half an hour and so, like, you know, at least in that situation, it's like knowing what to do with gaffer tape yeah. and superglue to just make it work yeah. for the situation sort of thing. <laughs> well, would the two of you like to 
to some music. Yeah. yeah let's see what we can come up with. Yeah. So what are we going to do? <laughs> I don't want to decide too much. Um, I think we do just want to let the birds dictate what what's yeah. going on. That, the birds will be our base to always come back to, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I really just have a conversation with them, like like they are, and then within that have a conversation within ourselves. Yeah.
So, that was lovely to listen back to that. Yeah, um, that last take we did there. Quite interesting seeing how long it was, actually. I know. Aim for two minutes and it's still five minutes over. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not possible. It can't be. <laughs> no, it's done. Can't be done. It's, <laughs> it's interesting, though, because there's, there's certain types of music you play and it's completely the opposite. You know, I remember there was a period where, where we actually really struggled to fill a gig, Joe. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, constantly, like, we need, we need to play more. Yeah. But it just it never felt like enough. I, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And it's like, oh, this is. We were just making quite short things, I think, at the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And yeah, I've done gigs where you go like way over, you know? Yeah. 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 I know. It, it was when I recorded my first album, that, that was a real challenge trying to. Cause the entire, every, apart from the folk songs, all the other compositions were just completely improvised with me and the band on stage. And then to bring that into a studio and then decide what we liked and what we hated over like the past year. Uh, that, was, that was a good challenge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's this is nothing out of the ordinary for me. It's, <laughs> it's what I'm used to. But it was good fun. It's nice to just hear like play off the musicians and everyone around you and not worry about playing the wrong note because there's no wrong notes really. Yeah, totally. Coming up, yeah. I, I thought that was really nice today to, to play with another piano player whilst Joe was in the room actually. <laughs> not something I think we've really done much of us. No, of there's not been so much of that, has there? <laughs> I hope there wasn't too much like, contempt <laughs> aimed towards me. Or no, not, not at all. <laughs> it was, it was great. great to, yeah. I really enjoy doing music with other piano players and other people playing piano because it's just, uh, you know, you just get such a different perspective being in that kind of role, you know, playing yeah. if I'm playing something else or whatever. It's a good... So, well, it's nice for us to kind of wrap up these sessions by asking our guests to come up with a word to sort of encompass what we've done today if you had well, something do you need it right right now <laughs> can i come back <laughs> uh, what, like what springs to mind single words resurrection for a couple of reasons mm-hmm. um first being this is my first time performing with other musicians again since the our last show together before lockdown um apart from with my students but don't count that. Um, <laughs> it's a different type of performing together yeah. with that. And, uh, and we're working with these uh, archival recordings of birds, which are uh, 70 years old now. So yeah. we're bringing yeah. them back into... They sound as alive as they did back then. Yeah, and well, it's really yeah, I think, I think that encompasses it for me. Yeah. Fantastic. Nice. Um, well, thanks so much for coming. Come yeah, thanks for having me. Really nice to do some music. Well, that was a lovely time we had with Blair there. We actually recorded that podcast in my living room as opposed to in my studio where most of the others were recorded. Back in September, there was some pretty heavy flooding in Glasgow and my studio being in the basement was out of action for a few months, including the time when we recorded this podcast. So that's why it may have sounded slightly differently, but it was no less lovely to get to spend a bit of time with Blair and to make some music with him. I should also mention that this episode has been underscored by um, some of Blair's music from his first album on the nature of things which you should definitely check out. Um, I believe he's also got a new album coming out this year, which will also be well worth a listen. If you've enjoyed the Taking Note podcast, you might consider supporting us by subscribing to us on Bandcamp. There's a few benefits you might receive from this, including early access to any new releases from Charlie and I, as well as discounts on purchasing our back catalogue. For more information on what subscribing entails and what you might be able to receive, 
please head to our website, which is www.cgjpmusic.com. None of this would be possible without the support of our funders, the Marcus Trust, Britain Peers Arts and Creative Scotland. We're very grateful for their support, so a huge thanks to them. And also a massive thanks to our producer, Owen Sinclair. On the next instalment of Taking Note in two weeks' time, it's actually just Charlie and I. We thought kind of towards the end of recording all of these podcasts with all of these amazing guests, it would be quite interesting just to try recording one ourselves. So that's coming in two weeks and we hope you'll join us for that. Cheers for now. Mm -hmm.